the Southwest, there's a hallucinogenic toad. Oh, yeah, don't lick the toads. Yeah, I've heard about that one. Yeah, so the, the U.S. Forestry Service actually issued a statement this week saying don't lick the toads. You know... Speaking of rules we shouldn't have to write down. Yeah, speaking, speaking of rules we shouldn't have to have. Yeah, we, so let's, let's light our cigars first. All right. And then I know we've got an issue for you. And I have an ethical dilemma that I'm going to need guidance on. Okay. And I figure you can be my, my guide on ethically right. how this works. I will be your Jiminy Cricket. And I'll, not that I'm going to listen to you. I'm just curious. No, you never uh, do. B- before I do the wrong thing, I want to be sure. Exactly. You're, See, what you're all an asshole. Do what? An ask hole. Oh, Have you yeah. ever heard that yeah, term? Yeah, I've heard that term. Yeah. But anyway, before we get into that part of it, so one of the things I missed most about the podcast when we took our, um, what are we calling that? Hiatus. Hiatus. Sabbatical. Sabbatical. Pilgrimage. I don't no, know. we didn't go anywhere. I went to Vegas. Well, I went but, to Dixon. But, but if you're pilgrimaging <laughs> to Vegas, something's wrong with you. So, okay, we'll go hiatus. So something I missed during the hiatus was walking into the humidor and any and anybody that doesn't have a podcast may not understand this but 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 let me paint the picture for you listeners right. you walk in the humidor and you see a cigar and the cigar checks all the boxes it kind of you know the chances of you liking this cigar are up in the 90 percentile range and you reach for it and you stop yourself and say wait I can have that one for the first time with the listeners on the podcast. And I think that's a um, one of the great pleasures in my life is being able to do that particular set of circumstances and knowing that from here, this point forward, because I never evaluate a cigar when I smoke it like I do when I'm sitting on a podcast talking about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, there's definitely a, a component of... Saving something for a special occasion or, like, you know, I'm going to be in here watching the football game on Saturday. This is a perfect opportunity for that kind of thing. But, yeah, the the podcast and being able to share the experience with others uh, definitely adds a layer to that. Or at least with other. Yeah. (laughs) Surely we still have at least two listeners. Surely. At all. But, okay, so what I found, I walked into the humidor, and there was the Tatawahe Tattoo 10th Anniversary Bon Chazur. What I'm gonna, how I'm going to pronounce it. Bon Chasseur. It's a Robusto, five and three-eighths by 52. There was a time in my life that would have been a mark against it, but instead that was a mark for it. Right. Which I'm, a tattoo has always been a smaller form factor. Sure. Always been a smaller bodied cigar, but I'm really starting to appreciate the majesty of the Robusto cigar. Yeah. And uh, So I seen this in the humidor, and I was really excited to see this cigar and I reached for it and I stopped myself and I said no I'm going to light that up on the podcast wait till Monday and the recipe one of my favorite recipes I love when you take a Nicaraguan binder and filler and wrap it in an Ecuadorian wrapper yeah that's a good recipe to me that's magic it's made in the My Father factory and even though I have some current gripes with My Father as a company Tatuaje's getting the money for this so I'll allow it right Um, The, the factory is not the same as the brand that's right. The, uh, I need to get over that and separate that out. But anyway, um, I actually gave away a Jaime Garcia the other day because I couldn't bring myself to smoke it. Where was I? Man. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm smoking the 10th anniversary Bon Chasseur, and I'm very excited to smoke that. So while I like that, you tell me what you're going to smoke. I bet your story ain't as good as mine. It's really not, although 
It, it kind of is because for the last three or four weeks that we've been back on this and doing this, in this shop, we've been talking about a lot about the new brands that they've brought in and some of the new cigars and things like that. And you have talked so highly about the La Galera line. And the band is a bit more ornate than I would typically gravitate towards. It's, for me, cigar bands are kind of like a retail opposmatism. So opposmatism is the, is the concept in nature where animals will have very brightly colored markings or feathers or fur or whatever to repel predators. Sure. And it's, it's seen as a warning sign. And so that's kind of how I feel. Oftentimes, if you put that much time and attention into the label, how much time did you put into the cigar? So that would be how I would normally approach a band like this. But you have spoken so highly of the cigar, and you, you gave me a Connecticut a few weeks ago, but it, I, I think it had been out of the humidor for a while. It fell yeah, apart it, on it'd me. it had been roughed up a little. And it was like my fourth cigar of the day, and it was a Connecticut, and it didn't really do much for me, and I knew I needed to give it a real honest shot. And so I walked in there, $10 and change, so really economical at this point. And it's a San Andreas wrapper over Dominican Cubano binder and Dominican long filler. Uh, it, this is the Maduro specifically. And I've got to tell you, I, I lit it up while you were talking, and I really like it. It's got a nice spice forward kind of not not spice the way or not peppery the way you think of like an AJ Fernandez, but very just sort of nutmeg and clove kind of spice. So this is the... Black pepper. Lots of black pepper. This is the thought about La Galera. We did a La Galera poker game here. They came in and sponsored a poker game, and it was perfect. They're the perfect price point cigar to sponsor a poker game here. um, Do you still have the $8 buy-in rule, or Uh have you upped it to 10 Yeah, $8. And Ben come, the La Galera rep, he come in, and he sat with us, and he played poker with us, and he was great and everything like that. But he is based out of Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. And Tennessee is still in his territory. That seems tough. La Galera is the company that could benefit the most. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later in more detail with the Miami cigar deal that's going down. Yeah. This is a little foreshadowing as well as talking about La Galera. They could be in, there's such a good cigar for the money. They could be in so many more shops and have so much more, better positioning if they spent the money to hire Some six reps. more reps. Yeah. They could hire six more reps and pay for them almost immediately. But they're, they're fairly new as a brand, right? I mean, I know they're made in the um, Tobacco Lara Palma factory, which goes back almost 100 years, but... As a, as a brand, they're relatively new, and I assume that that expansion of their sales force will come with time. Well, they're also viewed as a stepping stone by the, by the cigar business in general. They get kind of viewed as, okay, you buy La Galera for your customers that are, that are smoking big box stuff. Well, you take them to La Galera, which is actually a little cheaper than a lot of the Altadista and big box stuff, and show them how good that can be so you can step them up to the $16, $18 stuff. And I get this because it tastes like a boutique. I mean, it is a boutique, but it, it, it has that same mass appeal 
but it has some really nuanced flavors. I can absolutely see that. Well, and I think that's why the band, and this all comes back to me explaining why the band is like it is. That looks like a traditional cigar bride. Mm-hmm. So the step from, for me to step somebody in the humidor from a CAO to a La Galera in an effort to hopefully one day head them to a Placencia. It's a shorter jump. It's a, yeah. Or even Tatawahe, which we've talked about how hard that is to yeah. differentiate. Yeah. yeah. Hard, Tatawahe is hard sell. Yeah. If Tatawahe spent just a little money on their bands, they could really up their, up their game. The draw on this is also just spot on perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it's very rare that I go back to back the same cigar on the show as what we smoke after. But if this continues to be this good, I have a feeling I'm not going to be ready for it to end. At the By the time we're done recording, I'll probably double up tonight. This is really good. Well, this Tatawahe 10th is excellent. I've always really loved the tattoo. A lot of pepper. This is It does not taste like a tattoo. But it has a lot of pepper. Yeah. Um, and I hope that calms down, and it feels like it will. What's the price point on that? Uh, 10 bucks. Okay. Maybe 10, I'll do 11 that bucks. I yeah, I've got I've got time to decide. I don't have to figure that the, out. The thing is, that's the thing. If you're going to make it in a robusto and you're going to make it a special edition, keep it under fourteen bucks for sure. You're just not going to sell a robusto over fourteen bucks. It's just too, you're asking too much, right? Even though I understand the cost of the tobacco is, is very the smallest. yeah very minor, still. So, anyway, okay, here's my ethical question. Or do you want to talk about self-checkout lanes first? Well, we can talk about yours first. So, when I was at the show, I seen the Zycar Soft Flame Lighter. Uh Uh-huh. And and you've seen it, my blue one, the Mm -hmm. helix-shaped one. And so, when I got back to Tennessee, I ordered one. Like $130, $120, $130. About the same as the Julius. Yeah, and I ordered one because I wanted to try. And I put it through its paces, and it... It was weighed and measured, and it was found wanting. We watched that movie recently. <laughs> it's not a bad lighter. It's not the Julius. Right. It doesn't hold up against the yardstick. Right. Yeah, when when the gold standard is the Julius, it does not stay, bear up. And being as I already own two Juliuses. So I said, okay, I'm going to stick it in my locker for emergencies. And I stuck it in the locker. Well, my wife seen it in the locker, and she got it out, and she used it, and she said, okay, it sucks. <laughs> and she said, we paid, you know, over $100 for this lighter. What do you think if I send it back to Amazon? Knock yourself out. I've already decided I don't care for this lighter. Call Amazon to their credit. They said, hey, it's already got butane in it. There's no way we can guarantee you can get the butane out of it to ship it. There's no... There's." More trouble to us getting this lighter back than the 120 bucks you paid for it is worth. I'm impressed by Amazon customer service that they knew that. Right. So they said, we'll give you your money back, keep the lighter. Really? How long had you had the lighter at this point? A couple months. Wow. Okay. Well, let's see. I got back from the show in, in July. July. I think I bought it in August. It is now November. November. Yeah. So August, September, October, November, three months. Wow. The, the return window is usually a lot shorter on that. But, so now, ethically, I've been reimbursed for the lighter. Mm-hmm. Can I keep using the lighter? Should I find a underprivileged cigar smoker somewhere and give the lighter to? Should I, should I ethically destroy the lighter? So, it, you have four options here. You can give it away. You can continue to use it as a backup. You can sell it. Or you can just throw it in the trash. 
Well, ethically, I can't sell it. That that was I was going to say. I've been written. That's the least ethical of the four options. It, exactly right. Yeah, you can't sell it because you've already you've not paid anything for it at this point. Throwing it away seems wasteful. It does, and I would I would put that just above selling it. I, I don't think destroying it or throwing it away. I don't. I, I think giving it away is probably the the best option here. At the same time, I don't think there's any ethical difference between holding it in reserves, considering how many lighters do you have at your house? Somewhere shy of a million, right? Sure, sure. Just, yeah. just, a, just, just a hair a, Just a hair short of a million. And how many of those did you purchase? Did you spend money on? About three. So having a, having a household full of free lighters is not something that, that obviously you, is in, unethical in and of itself. But you already know you hate it. So it, it, it almost isn't worth because you're going to grab any one of the other lighters that you have on hand most of the time. Well, here's the thing. If I give it away, I'm giving somebody a subpar lighter. But if they've never experienced the Julius, they may not know that. I'm thinking my ethical high ground is to keep it and put it in my locker for an emergency use because it's a very good-looking lighter. Yeah. And if somebody sees me using it, I can say, oh, yeah, it's a Zycar. Maybe they buy a Zycar. Maybe not that model, because if they ask me about that model, but they see how good it looks. Right. Maybe I'm giving back a little to my community to Zycar for them giving me the free lighter. And now I think you're overthinking it a little bit. Oh, I, think, okay. I don't think it's quite that deep. I'm, 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 you're trying. I'm scrambling for the moral high yeah. ground No, here. I think... No, I, I, I understand your point about giving it away, giving someone a subpar you know, quality item, but at the same time, it is still a good lighter. We just know that there's a better one in the same market segment. Yeah, that there's just a better soft flame lighter out and, there. Yeah, and so somebody who wants to try a soft flame, if they, you know, if man, I really, you know, they try it once, try it, and every time they come back to poker for the next couple of weeks, can I borrow your lighter? I really like that. Okay, cool, it's yours. The complaint I have about it is not is that the soft flame does not hold well. Yeah. You Julius, I can light that outside oh, yeah. in a windstorm. This one, you light it, and a mouse farts across the room and blows it out. Yeah, that's a shame. And that that's my one complaint about that particular lighter. Gotcha. And and it's so it's not just that the Julius is so much better. It's that there's actually a flaw with this lighter. Fair enough. So, okay, well, good. I feel I feel ethically entitled now. I can just stick it in my locker and keep it there. And, and you're fine. Let's jump into some stories, and then we'll come back to my thing. Okay. Let's, that's enough bickering for the start of the show, I think. So let's talk about a new cigar. All right. New World Dorado Toro. I'm actually jealous that you've had the opportunity to smoke this, and I haven't. Because you know I love the New World. There may be one or two still in the humidor. We'll have to, I'll know exactly where they are if there is. Okay. I'll, I'll have to look and see. So this, hum- this cigar came into the humidor. I smoked one. I said, great stick. I really like this stick. So it's a 10-count box. The price point on them was right. The price point was in that $12, $14 range. Um, it's a Habano sun-grown wrapper, and it's made in the San Latino factory in Octal, Nicaragua. Um, great stick. I really enjoyed this stick. So course it comes in i fire it up i like it and being the the cigar leader i am i immediately circulate to all my buddies how much they like how much i like it they all start smoking and liking it everybody's smoking and like it but it took off too fast 
he had like six boxes and they were gone in a week. That that's tough because the sales in a cigar shop are a wave. And if if you crest too early, it's really hard to keep it to keep it going on the back end. Well, and how many times have you seen this happen in a cigar shop? Holy cow, I sold six boxes in two weeks. Quick, let's buy twelve boxes. Yeah. AJ, send me twelve boxes immediately. And then they sit for a year. And the, yeah, and then a year later they're still sitting there. And I cautioned Mark against this. I said, Mark, don't do it. Don't overorder. Order three or four more boxes. Let's sell through them. See how long it takes to sell through them. And then if you need to order another box or two, I said, but I don't think this is a long-term cigar. I actually think this cigar will be more profitable to the shop being something you bring in every three or four months. Yeah. And somebody can walk in and say, oh, they got the new world back. I better grab a box before they're gone again. Especially in a shop that's so AJ heavy already. I mean, you guys have, and I'm not complaining because I love everything that AJ makes, but yeah, it's, it, it can, it can be, it can be easy to lose something. It, it, yeah, and especially where you're trying so hard to control the amount of real estate right. a, uh, that you, and one thing that hurts this cigar is it's a 10-count box. That hurts this cigar. This cigar should be in a 20-count box. It's also in a big 10-count box. Yeah, I'm looking at that. Each each cigar is in its own little cedar-lined Right, pocket. in its own little nest. and it's So that's a big part of what hurts this cigar as far as stocking it in a shop and keeping it long-term. I think you're better off with this cigar to perhaps order a new size in it or something like that and just it just kind of be an occasional. Yeah, we should point out that the party piece for this cigar and you know, so it's only it, MSRP is around 12 bucks, which is a little high for AJ, but they're clearly trying to do something really special. I mean, just looking at the presentation of the box tells you that, but the party piece for this is that every piece of tobacco in the cigar comes from one farm, one one field, much like what they've done, what Fuente did with the Opus, right? And, you know, it's it's not so... We, we talk on the show every week and, and have for the last however many years about, you know, Dominican binder and Nicaraguan filler in the same cigar, Ecuadorian, right? The, the, the number of cigars out there that actually everything comes from the same place and our wine fans that listen will understand the concept of terroir. And I, I, I've talked about it on the show many times because I, I do think that's such an important facet, which is that, you know, the soil brings and from one field to the next, one farm to the next, even in the same region, brings so much of the characteristics out. So it's it's really unique. And I, I, I hope this does well for them, but I can see how it being so unique to the concept of what people are expecting in a general recipe that it could it could be tough. Yeah, I think it's one of those things you don't want to... Um, I think we handled this cigar right for this shop. Yeah. And I'm actually thinking that free rain, free um, freelance humidor management is my next career path. Get on uh, Thumbtack or whatever that, it, and right below the guy writing false reviews, you can be the guy that do humidor maintenance. Freelance humidor management. Yeah. You allow me to come in, I'll evaluate your humidor, I'll tell you where your weak points in, I'll tell you where your strong points are, I'll tell you where you've got the same product for sale in two different locations, yep. and I'll make my recommendations 
on how to improve your humidor. I, th- I think there's a career. Angel in that. take payment and cigars. And, well, no, I, I want cash. Well, you you, you mixture of both. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I'm just gonna spend the cash on cigars. Exactly. But, but if they're a terrible humidor, it doesn't have anything you want to smoke, you'd rather have the cash. That's right. But I, I really think I could go in and appraise humidors for people with the amount of experience I've had here and am getting here doing all my volunteering at the mission. Yeah. I think I could really, really improve a lot of humidors for a lot of people. But, okay, moving forward. California. R.J. Reynolds files lawsuit against California's flavored tobacco ban. So what's really interesting to me about this is so often when we read about legislation or changes to rules around what's allowed and what's not for tobacco, it typically comes out of state houses, state congresses. And this is a rare situation where it actually went to referendum, and the voters of California are the ones who made the decision. I think that makes this a harder hill to climb for R.J. Reynolds. Because you're not just talking about legislators who may or may not be acting in their constituents' best interest. You're talking about the constituents themselves who made a decision on this. So without getting into the weeds, I want to make a quick brush across the top of the weeds. R.J. Reynolds' lawsuit is not you don't have the right to ban flavored cigars by referendum or any other way. Right. Their lawsuit is, hey, this has already been covered and you putting in a state law banning flavored cigars is the state trying to overrule a federal law, which already defined what the cigar is, what they're supposed, what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do. Yeah, and I think that comes back to the point you made when we were kind of setting up the show, which is, is this just R.J. Reynolds seeing an, a governmental overreach and feeling the need to oppose it on principle uh, without it affecting the outcome of what happened. You know, there's been times that I've had a attorney send a sternly worded letter to, thank you, to the um, local codes department and perhaps threaten a lawsuit. There's even been times that we have, as builders, have actually filed a lawsuit we knew we weren't going to win. Yeah. Just so that the city and county, when this inspector's job is up for renewal, looks and says, oh, yeah, he got our ass sued. Right. And we're like, okay, we paid $5,000 to sue him. We spread that across five builders. We paid 1000 bucks each. And this jerk's going to cost us way more than 1000 bucks each if he stays employed here. So there is a game there to be played. For sure. There's a, there's a game there to be played, and I think that's may, this may be more of that than them actually thinking they've got a shot. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, based on their argument that it's not about the decision, but more about why the decision was even on the docket to, to be voted on to begin with, yeah, I mean, if, if federal... There's been, a, there's been a lot of talk in the last year about, you know, the states superseding federal regulations and vice versa. And this could have some interesting implications to, to other aspects of state versus federal de- defining of de- right. definitions and, on the same topic. And I'm always going to come down on the side of state rights. It's right there in the name, the United States of America. I'm always going to come down on the side of the state being able to 
make a rule over the actual um, federal rules. I'm, I'm always going to be on the state side. That's just generally the way it works for me. Even when I think the state's wrong, I still res- I still respect their right to, as a state, make that rule. It, it, and, and by and large, you and I fairly regularly agree on that. There are there are scenarios in which there there needs to be overarching protections at the federal level for marginalized communities. I I always go back to the ADA. Like if you relied on every individual state to define what counts as a disability and how those account that that should be that's something that should be decided at the federal level. Well, there are there are other things like that, but that's the one I always go back to. I I think the federal level is the nuclear option. I think the federal level is them saying, "Oh, Big Brother believes you're not capable of doing this," and I don't like that as a concept. Well. It could, yeah. We, I think that's an after-show topic. Yeah, probably. That's, that's that's always. There's always a lot of um, the, the, yeah. We're not going to wade into the weeds of politics on the show here, but I did think that was interesting that we were looking at them filing this lawsuit, and that I believe this is more a lawsuit of gamesmanship than anything. All right. So you want to step away for a break? Come back fully loaded. Yeah, we can do that. All right. Let's step away for a break. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man that if it was raining soup would run out with a fork, Mr. Trey Denver. <laughs> I heard that expression recently, and I don't understand what it means. You make everything harder than it has to be. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I understand the getting the fork, but raining soup. I don't understand the concept of raining soup. I forget where I was the other day that I heard that expression. <laughs> well, when you picture raining soup, what do you, what kind of soup do you picture? I've got a nice vegetable beef raining down, carrots, potatoes. Yeah, it's funny. I would, uh, potatoes? There's no potatoes in vegetable beef soup. Potatoes are vegetables. Well, yes, but they're not I in vegetable beef soup. I always put potatoes in my vegetable beef soup. Carrots, potatoes, Celery? Celery? Yeah, celery. Huh. Oh, we are we are so different. What do you put in vegetable beef soup? Whatever is in the vegetable legumes, medley in kale? the fr- yes, I mean, well, legumes. Yes, you've got lima beans and peas and carrots, green beans, corn. Right, once you put a bean in it, it's now chili. It's no longer vegetable soup. <laughs> once once a bean hits the broth, you're no longer beans making soup. Beans are vegetables. Soup. Beans are legumes. But, well, okay, potatoes are tubers. <laughs> <laughs> and tomatoes are fruit. Anyway, speaking of vegetables. What's we'll about the podcast tonight? We were arguing about soup. <laughs> speaking of vegetables, I've got a gripe, and this happened to me yesterday. So I was making soup, and I needed to go to the grocery store. I wasn't making soup. And I needed to go to the, the grocery store for a couple of items, and I've got three things in my hand. Onions, bell peppers, and something else. That's it. So you were making chili. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's I was. I was making chili okay. last night, which is a kind of soup, and you eat it with a spoon. So in a bowl. But if it starts raining, you're going to run out with a fork. Exactly. No, a ladle. So I I stroll up 
as my, the Kroger in my town has two separate banks of self-checkouts and about four or five regular checkout rows at this point. And one of which is the only one that's ever open, except on the day before Thanksgiving. And so I stroll up to the one, the most convenient self-checkout for me, and the whole thing is wrapped up. Now, credit goes to the person in front of me waiting in line, because they look at me and they see my three items, and they say, go ahead of us. And I do the the correct thing. Only the decent human thing to do. Yeah, and I do the correct thing, which is, are you sure? Thank right. you. You know, and I go on. Half of the people, including this nice family that let me go ahead of them, had full trolleys worth of groceries. Now, the self-checkout should be treated as an express lane. Ten items or fewer. Fifteen. I'll, I'll even go to fifteen. But if you've got an entire trolley filled up with your week's worth of groceries, that's... And, and I realize it comes down to the fact that there's really only one or two real checkout lines open anymore, but that's not the place for you. So, I agree 100%. But. Um, no, no, I agree, I agree with you 100%, and I love the self-checkout. Yeah, I don't get the hate. I don't either. You see these posts all the time, people complaining about the self-checkout, about having to check out their own groceries. I'm all for it. These I, are the, Yet these people would never complain about having to pump their own gas and the fact that it's a dollar cheaper than if they didn't. I wonder if, per chance, they're complaining because they're doing... This, this sheds a new light. They're doing what you're saying. They show up there with a full cart full of groceries. I refuse to call it a trolley. A full cart full of groceries. And I expected you to go buggy. Buggy? Yeah. Well, I could go buggy. I could go buggy, but, but carts, anyway. cart's always been the colloquialism. Okay. But a full cart full of groceries, and they've tried to check out, and they have to call the attendant like six times because for their some reason... Their ran up as rutabagas, yeah. and they've got to get carted for their beer. Yeah, absolutely not smart enough people to be operating this technology. Yet they've decided to try, to give it the old college try. <laughs> They're also the same people that claim that cashiering at a grocery store is not skilled labor. Yet they can't do it. <laughs> well, I, I, we can argue that separately, what is is and isn't skilled labor. But, yes, I agree with you completely. Treat, and this is a rule we shouldn't have to have. Right. It should there be should, understood. Yeah, there should never have to be a sign that says 15 items or less in the self-checkout lane. Now, that being said, if you are going to be that person, and I, I, I'm not a huge fan of human interaction. I'm not a human golden retriever like you are. Plus, I can't hear. So the idle chit-chat with the cashier is tough for me, and I would rather do it. But if you are going to stroll up with a buggy full of groceries, do the right thing. If there's someone behind you with fewer than eight items, let them go ahead. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Kind of kind of know your surroundings. Exactly. Don't be an island unto yourself. So much of life would be so much better if we just paid attention to our surroundings. Absolutely. So I'm with you. I'm, uh, for once, mark it down today, I agreed with Trey. All right. I'm so, going to post this up on Instagram. <laughs> I need some more validation. You don't count. <laughs> La Fleur Dominicana, golden NFT cigars shipped to owners. All right. So I'm going to do a quick sketch of explanation of how this worked. 
So, yeah, I'm sure everybody heard in one of the previous episodes how much I despise the whole concept of an NFT. Right. And it's cryptocurrency stupid. in general. But the um, LFD did this deal where they said, okay, we're going to sell eight in, or seven NFTs. And if you buy this NFT, we're going to send you a humidor. And you're going to be able to, the only people in the world that are going to be able to get this cigar, which is an Andalusian bull, basically in a uh, Churchill Lancero type setup. Right. And so some some companies bought them. And all the most expensive ones sold for $85,000. The cheapest one, no, all the most expensive ones sold 000. for ninety eight. The cheapest one sold for $85,000. Nope, you're wrong again. 78000 Hey, <laughs> whoever wrote this, Charlie, Charlie Minato. When you write down an article... They're a the, numerical order by the NFTs. Don't just put the prices in any random order that strikes your fancy, because then I do the math on 85000 So, okay, the median <laughs> price on these was 85000 I'll give you that. It's not right, but I'll give it to you. Okay. So the median price on these was $85,000 for this humidor. And so LFD said, okay, here's the deal. We're going to sell you this humidor, and you'll be the only one that has the right to this particular cigar. So, and we'll sell you 70 sticks a month of this particular cigar. And it's LFD, so you'll get it six months later. Right. So they'll sell you 70 sticks a year of this particular (laughs) cigar if you're lucky. You'll probably get 20 sticks, wait three months, call the LFD rep, scream at the top of your lungs, and get 20 more sticks. Right, because I'm, I'm thinking about this. 70 a month across seven people who have the opportunity to buy that. So that's 490 cigars a month. That's more than they produce at the Andalusian Bull now. <laughs> right. right. Has, has anybody ever actually received 70 sticks, 70 LFD sticks of one type a month from LFD. In, not in 20 years. But, okay, let's let's assume that they worst could, case scenario, that could, that this happens. Yeah. So they pay $15 a stick for them. Uh-huh. The average sales price is $200 a stick for these cigars. So if you paid $85,000 for this, you would need to sell... 460 sticks to break even. Right. Your break even point. So at 70 sticks a month, it's going to take you six months. At a minimum. At a minimum to just break even. Right. And then after that, it all becomes profit. Well, less than $15. Sure. But, well, it becomes $185 a stick profit, assuming that market holds up. Right. Which I can't imagine it will because the regular Andalusian bulls are as rare as this at this point. They're so hard to come by. And even they're not being purchased at that level of a markup. We had a, we had a five boxes of Andalusian Bull come in here to the shop. And I'm not a fan of doing this, but this was the only way to do it. We had to put a limit of two cigars per You have to. Because guys were calling saying, hey, I want to buy every box you got. Set them aside. I'll be there this evening to get Because they're turning around on eBay and they're selling them for $150 a stick. Right. So we had to say, okay, two, two sticks a person. I'm not a... What's your feeling when a cigar store does that? I get it. Uh, I especially... So you and I are in a cigar shop every day of the week. 
let's let actually let's let's say five days a week just to be conservative. Okay. The there are still limited runs and special editions that sell out before I get there. So, assuming that the majority of your clientele are not the kind that show up every day, let's say they show up three times a week, you know, or or or, or less, this evens the playing field. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's the I don't like it, but I understand it. I understand why when the feral pig comes in and you mow, you may not get another box of these this year to say, okay, two per person. I actually get it. I, yeah. I, I don't like it, but I get it. Right. And uh, that's really all I can say about this procedure. But the bigger point is, so realistically, if you paid $85,000 for that box of cigars, how long do you think it would take you to sell the requisite 460 sticks with LFD, their history of getting sticks to you. Well, th- that's the thing. And also, how long are they going to keep this going? So they said that you can buy 70 sticks a, a month. Are they going to continue to honor this forever or for the next year? You know, I mean, there's 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 got to be a limit on it. They're not going to still be this hot a year from now, I wouldn't think. So... And here's the other question. It's an NFT. Can one shop sell it to another shop? Could one shop say, hey, I bought this L- this NFT for $85,000. You cut me a check for 100 and I'll send the humidor over to yours. Does LFD allow that? Yeah, that's a good question because, yeah, that's the whole point of the inv- NFT is they're, they should, they're transferable. Right. But, that would be the point of having it. Right. So that's, it's, a, it's a really ingenious marketing scheme on LFD's part. Well, let me ask you this. This was my first thought when we brought up this article, and then we can move on. Because I know you have an issue with the NFT thing. But if they did a silent auction for seven tickets, golden tickets, for the rights, would, would you have still be as kind of hard on the idea or is it the fact that they chose NFTs as the medium for this? It's a good question. I'm, I'm trying to think intellectually, being intellectually honest. Being intellectually honest, I would hate it either way. Yeah, well, and because one thing it does is it limits... Yeah, the NFT, you and I disagree. I think crypto is going to be around for a while. You think it's a flash in the pan. You think it's probably already dead, I think. NFTs, I actually agree with you. that, that It's a passing fad. And so it creates an expiration date on this. And also, if they had done a golden ticket, they could have written into the contract of purchase that you can't resell it. I don't, I don't know. That's such a really brilliant question that you asked around that. I'm curious how that will go off. Yeah, it's such a wild... It's this whole NFT crypto thing such a wild west. Yeah. Where Which is the part of legi- what I like about the it. The legislation's constantly trying to catch up to the technology, which never makes good legislation. Right. I mean, there's never been good legislation come out of that particular <laughs> act. Just watch the People versus Larry Flint. Sure. So... There's that part of it, the, um, but intellectually, I would hate this in any event. That's fair. I, I, would com- I appreciate you giving me that thought exercise. 
So, speaking of marketing for marketing's sake. Uh, yes. Placencia creates limited edition for the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Is it weird that I forgot that that was still this year? And I know you're going to say no because no one cares about soccer. But I, I'm so used to the World Cup being during the summer that I completely forgot that we still have something to look forward to this year. I can't pretend soccer's not boring. I cannot put on the blinders and act like soccer is not boring to watch. You know, the, so here's my complaint about soccer. You watch a football game. When a football game goes on to overtime, you know exactly how much time is that. <laughs> In soccer, they just pull a number out of their rear. Well, no, that's not exactly true. It's, it's sudden death, which is, I would argue, more exciting. But... You're talking about extra time or bonus time. Right. So the thing about soccer is that the clock never stops. So, you know, my daughter plays soccer for a high school team. And they play 45, no, they play 30-minute halves. And the clock is running. The ball goes out of bounds, clock doesn't stop. You score a goal, clock doesn't stop. But there are certain things that happen over the course of a game, like a goal or an injury, that create stoppage in play that they then calculate and add on to the end of the half. Okay. Do they not possess the ability to stop and start the stinking clock back? Because obviously it's important to them that there's 30 minutes of play. Are they not eating soup with a fork? Well, it's it's because the, the there is such a flow to soccer. And it's part of what, what I like about soccer as compared to football. With football, you've got a... Th- seven-hour game for 60 minutes of, of clock time. I can't believe someone that likes baseball is making this point. <laughs> There's like, what, 23 seconds of actual, of actual play action, in yes. a five-hour baseball game? So I can't... One, I can't believe that someone that likes baseball is making this argument, but please carry on. Well, no, I, it, but they're, they're different sports. You're in it for, for different reasons. But the, the point is, the flow of the game is important to the gameplay of soccer. And so it's important not to interrupt that flow and the momentum by constant stoppages and restarts. And so you just tack that onto the end of the but play. But aren't you stopping anyway after a goal, after an injury? You, to, a, to a certain extent. And I don't know the sport well enough to get into the minutia of, of why it's still done that way. Um, I could probably, you know, I, you know f- fair, uh, be, being fair and transparent here, I should, I should mention that my wife was a collegiate soccer player and my daughter was a soccer player on our high school team. So I am a very, I am in a very soccer friendly house. And so I, I can see the beauty of the sport. I, I enjoy it. You, you've also, it's, I feel like part of it, in the comparison specifically to football and soccer, American football being specifically to that American sort of instant gratification where the end result is the goal. You know, the excitement is the goal, is the touchdown. In soccer, there is so, like, you know, you can have... You can have a really boring 5-0 game, and you can have a really exciting 0-0 tie or, or 1-0 game because so much of the action happens in between the points being scored. The point is to score more points 
than the other team, correct? Yes, it is. Then let's not lose lose sight of the prize. Well, <laughs> but no, but that that's that's definitely the end result. That's the that's the goal for sure. But it's still it's still a fun sport to watch. So we were having this argument in the cigar shop Friday, and I was arguing against soccer, and there are others that were arguing for soccer. And they pulled out that old argument that every soccer fan tries to trot out. It's the most popular sport in the world. Hey, rice is the most popular food in the world. That doesn't mean it's better than filet mignon. <laughs> well, that's... It's just more available. Well, And that... soccer is just more available. It's a lower barrier to entry. You get a round object and a big spot of grass and you can play soccer. But that's also part of the appeal, you know, the the number of kids that are going to grow up watching football and then ultimately play in the NFL is very, very small. And soccer being kind of this attainable goal for a, a larger swath of people that may not have anything else to aspire to. Like, there's, it's, it's got a wider reach. There is no barrier to entry. All you need is a, a patch of grass or dirt and a round object. Yeah, and... I'm convinced people that don't like soccer just don't understand the rules. No, I understand the rules. I wa- so, in being completely intellectually honest, I made an attempt two World Cups ago to watch soccer. I sat down with my brother-in-law, who is a complete soccer nut, and I said, please explain to me as I we I know watch. your brother-in-law. That's part of your problem. Well, please. No, this is the brother-in-law that she divorced. It's oh, a okay. different brother-in-law. Different brother-in-law. I said, please explain to me what is going on here. And he starts talking about fouls and this guy can't run ahead of the ball and the ball's got to be here and the team's got to play here. And he explained it all to me. I understood it all and still thought it was boring as watching paint dry. Fair fair enough. It It is not for everyone. Fine. So, and also, I have a problem with the people that run soccer. We say, you know, ask anyone in the world, short of the Olympic Committee, what is the most corrupt group of people in the world? It's FIFA. Absolutely. So we're going to support Although these. Although the jerks. FIA is right behind them. Well, we're going to. So we're going to. We're going to support these people. That's their plan. Is that even though everybody knows that this is completely corrupt, completely a sham, we're going to support these people. That seems like a. Well, that, and that's. I mean, that topic is almost separate from the sport itself. And I say that because if you look at pro cycling, there's a, there's a lot of it that goes on there. There's, um, I mentioned FIA, that's the governing body for basically all motorsports outside of like NASCAR and Indy. Uh, they do Formula One and uh, Porsche Super Cup and, and a bunch of the other ones, Le Mans. And, you know, sure enough, when Russia invaded Ukraine, there was there was outcry for all of these international sports, right? About pulling out of you know not allowing Russian athletes to compete on the Russian flag, not allowing not hosting events in, in Russia and, and things like that, and and but then they still you know they they still have races in Abu Dhabi and and Saudi Arabia and and other oh, so absolutely. like where, so so the question becomes where do we draw the line and and I think. I think that's a separate topic into it itself, and I, I don't think we have the the room here to fully discuss that. Well, so where this touches close to home for me is in professional wrestling. Just two weeks ago, they did Crown Jewel, which is the big pay-per-view event in Saudi Arabia. 
I admire the wrestlers that say, no, I will not go to Saudi Arabia and wrestle. And I admire WWE for not penalizing them. And that's how it should be. WWE says, hey, you don't want to go to Saudi Arabia? That is fine. That we will not penalize you because you do not believe we should be going there. The fact of the matter is the money's too good and you're going to miss a million dollar paycheck by not going to Saudi Arabia. And if your standards, your morals say that it's worth that to you, then we're not going to penalize you for it. And I think that's I think that's exactly how it should work. You're missing out on the pay as punishment in and of itself. And right. Good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's good enough. We yeah. don't have to worry about that. And I do think the day will come when enough of the top-level talent that say, okay, I'm not going to go to Saudi Arabia, that they have a hard time putting together a card for that. They already have that because they already bring people back, Brock Lesnar and people that are obviously just there for, for the, the pitch art. yeah well and it's 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 funny I, it would be curious to me if you know wrestling sort of paves a way for that because the issue you know, so saudi arabia was actually the the same country that created dust up in formula one last year when they announced that they were going in 2021 uh, starting a race there and it was it was it was it was a terrible course to start with, but there was a it, because it's part of a championship series. You can't sit it out because then you miss out on points, and you know it came down to a dead heat in the last race of the series last year. So you know you can't afford. So what those racers have to do is they have to kind of silently protest if they have issues with you know. And there are a handful of guys in the paddock that have very staunch beliefs in terms of human rights and, and other things and these guys they show up and they race with a rainbow colored helmet or they do things like you know and there's and it just you know so they're putting arguably they're putting their safety at risk just in traveling to a country like that to begin with and then speaking out against a government while they're there obviously they can pay for the bodyguards and stuff like that but there's you know it's just I'll be interested to see as we get more and more global how those things kind of shake out Yeah, you know, and I'm not going to get into this, but there's been a huge debate here in the shop about the PGA and the LIV. Right. There's been a huge debate about that, and I've I've lost enough of my life listening to people debate that. I'm not. I think if you, hey, if you think the money is worth it and you want to go for that, then by all means, knock yourself out. And I think if you say, I don't want to do that, that should be fine, too. Right. I think that works out either direction just fine. Okay, so let's so let's talk about your bread baking story. All right, so this is so much fun. I, you know, w- we were looking at the show prep and it was very cigar heavy this week, and I wanted something a little bit fun, and I found this. This is a, a couple of bakers in California created a life size Han Solo out of bread, and it's the famous scene of of him being frozen in carbonite, and it's six feet tall. And it's completely made out of bread. And I love stories like this. This The viral marketing where you take a non-artistic medium and create something artistic out of it. At the Texas State Fair a few years ago, there was a guy that made a life-size Garth Brooks statue out of butter, which I hope they kept it indoors in, (laughs) in Texas. But these people that just do outrageous kind of things like this, and it got me thinking, you know, Anything tobacco-related, your ability to advertise is very limited. 
And so if you were going to create sort of a, a viral marketing thing, maybe for the shop or, or maybe not even for cigar related, but like what kind of, what kind of thing would you do? So I was talking about this earlier with some other guys about how to do this. And there's a lot of options. I don't, I think the viral stuff is better done on a smaller scale that can be more easily reproduced than a single large scale item like a loaf of bread that looks like Han Solo. Gotcha. I think if you can create, you know, Drew Estates made their business off of creating a subculture movement through their swag and through the way they do things. And I think that if I was going to do that, I would do it on a much smaller platform so that I could distribute it much easier and have, instead of, okay, let's all make a pilgrimage to see the world's largest cigar at all, or let's, you know, let's make the world's largest cigar and everybody that, you know, stands in line can have a puff. Um, <laughs> I think it's better to, I think it's better done on almost a smaller, more yeah, but personal that, that scale. That kind of gets in the way of the, in, of the intent a little bit, because this is really, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they were, it was done for marketing purposes, obviously, but it wasn't, it was really just meant to be a showcase and kind of for artistic principle, you know, I, you know, we get a get a thirty foot trailer and put a big, you know, what would the one thousand ring gauge cigar on the back of it? I think I think that would be fun. Yeah. Or, or take take all of the clippings, or take all of the ashes from the ashtrays, and then like mix it in resin and make a statue of Carlito or something. Like that. I hadn't never thought of that, but yeah, and. <laughs> Now, also, I got a question about this. Did they have to send Disney a check on this? Probably. Although, looking at the face, it's hardly recognizable now, as Han Solo. At, looking at the face, they should send it to the blow-up doll company <laughs> that they used for Those a Those are some lips. Yeah. But the... This the, should... That should fall under par, uh, parody fair use. Yeah. Viral marketing is a part of our modern day. Um, prop... You know, a lot of it's because we are so fragmented with so many different platforms out there to release stuff. Yeah. So, part, you know, it's a double-edged sword. There's never been more, you know, a friend of mine's in the movie business. We've had him on the show. Yeah. And it's like he said, there's never been more platforms wanting your product. And it's never been harder to make your product big. Exactly. Yeah, it dilutes the pool. Right, you know how much you know the new Predator movie is a perfect example of this. The new Predator movie, I'd like to see it, but I don't have Hulu. The the Weird Al movie with Daniel Radcliffe mm-hmm. and Rain Wilson and just a star-studded cast. It's on Roku. <laughs> I mean, come on. Although, so I'm gonna have to go buy a thirty-dollar Roku at Best Buy just so I can watch the one Weird Al movie. Yeah, that that's the the barrier to entry on some of this stuff is getting more. Um, you know, was thinking was thinking about this because we do live in such a fragmented market. Stuff like this is going to become bigger. You're going to have to create groundswell movements, and people are. It's not going to happen organically anymore. No, it it's it's not. There's a there's a marketing team behind everything. Yeah, and hey, they got their you know. They got their uh, ad in U.S. News, so it obviously worked. 
Yeah, exactly. It obviously worked. I don't. I don't know what the what's the shelf life of a Han Solo statue made of bread. Does it start molding at some point? I'd say you've probably got about a week. About a week for it. For it, just as another. Yeah, although in, in Southern California, the climate's dry enough. They might be okay for two. But it's like the, maybe they'll melt the Garth Brooks butter statue down on it. Pour it over. <laughs> pour it over the Han Solo statue. Have a community potluck. Yeah, but anyway. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, how do they get a hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigarcast, Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast, and you can email us at info at the cigarcast.com. Now, you're about to land the plane without talking about the cigars, and we're really bad to do that. Yes, yes. Um, and it would be a travesty of me not to talk about how good this Tatawahe tin is. Yeah. This is excellent. This is. There, there will be more of these in my future, and I will give these highly recommendations to other people around me. I'll have to argue against the fact that it's a Robusto. Right. But we've sat here this whole show, and I've smoked two-thirds of it, so it's burned nice and slow. Yeah. The burn's been perfect. No crooked burn. The flavor, the pepper died off, and the true flavor just come out, and it fills your, your palate. This is just a excellent cigar this is a solid six all right this the lagalera is sniffing at a six i can't quite give it a full six but it's so close what keeps it from being a six what's the my if gut. you had to eliminate if you had to lay it down to one thing it's just something in my gut that's just telling me not to go full six if it was now answer me this if it was a 17 dollar cigar that had been given to you could you give it a six? No, I think I'd go the other way. Think you'd go? You think you'd dock it? I, some I think it'd be. I think it'd be a five and a half at fourteen dollars. You think? You'd I think dock it'd it. be a. It'd be a six at eight dollars. Maybe that's what it is. It's that two dollar barrier. Maybe that's what it is. I, but anymore, a ten dollar cigar is is still the bottom of the market. I don't. I, I think I'm asking too much for it to be less than ten dollars. Yeah, I can't put one particular thing on it. There's just it just doesn't feel like I need to give it a six. Well, I need to smoke more of these and see if it actually raises in my estimation. I actually think this cigar is one that could go up to a six and a half after a couple of more. I just figured it out. It started out so strong, so bold, so in your face with just all these flavors. And then it left, some of that complexity left throughout the cigar. And now it's it's all one flavor. That full transparency, that could be because we have finally reached winter in Tennessee. And this time of year, our listener may have noticed my voice sounds a little different this week. I've got sinus allergy things kicking my butt tonight. I can still taste, it's not, but there may be a slight subdue in my ability to taste the nuance through the cigar, but that might be what it is. So, I'll try it again. Yeah, I can I can acknowledge that. I like the Lagolera stuff. I think they could benefit greatly from improving their marketing. I think their marketing is the weakest part. Their product's there. Yeah. Their product's there, their presentation is there. Agreed. I think they could benefit from putting some money into marketing into hiring and basically that when i say into marketing i mean hire some more reps yeah hire some more reps that can take that from being a stepping stone to a destination 
I think that's really what Lagalera needs to do. Yeah, they're right on the cusp. It's theirs to lose. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us.